Welcome to episode 97 of On the Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On the Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. The next cohort of the MORE program for entrepreneurial women just got underway, which is quite exciting. When I was having my first one-on-one coaching calls with each of the participants, I started to see a pattern. They had really, really big ideas of what they wanted to accomplish with their businesses. What they didn't have was a clear sense of how they were going to create and iterate new products or services with lots of input from their ideal customers. There was a desire to figure it all out before letting the world in on what they had to offer. At the end of their first coaching session, they each had two primary goals for the program. One goal would help them build their platform and network. And the second goal would be to identify new sources of revenue with help from their ideal customers and actually launch the offering this year. Not wait two years, tinkering with an idea in their heads and then spring it on the market. Too often, when we have a good idea, we keep it to ourselves while trying to bring it to life. For entrepreneurs, the danger is building a product or service that no one wants to buy. In an office setting, it might mean setting a new policy without any buy-in or even acknowledgement from the staff that there's a problem that needs to be solved. Don't wait years to test out your theory. Start small with a minimally viable product and do a pilot or a test run to gather feedback from users. In fact, this is a great way to strengthen connections with people in your network. Your challenge for this week, reach out to three people and share an idea that you've been working on in your head. Be open to their feedback and suggestions. Circle back to them when you've iterated some more and thank them for helping you get the ball rolling. Try this and let me know how it goes. Now, on to this week's show. Today's guest helps corporations stop wasting enormous amounts of time and money. Too many companies are not focusing sufficiently on marketing to their existing customers and instead constantly hunt for new ones. My guest helps these large companies create long-term, sustainable, and highly profitable customer relationships. For over a decade, He has been the trusted source for coaching and consulting to thousands of business owners, executives, and individuals looking to dramatically grow their businesses, leveraging the hidden assets they already have in place. He put these concepts down on paper in his first book, Evergreen, Cultivate the Enduring Customer Loyalty That Keeps Your Business Thriving. He followed up this bestseller with two more books, The Customer Loyalty Loop and Dealing with Difficult Customers. Please join me in welcoming Noah Fleming. How you doing? Noah, thank you so much for joining me from your office in Ontario, Canada. I am thrilled to have you here. I want to just jump right in. This is a show about leadership and networking. Um, so let's start with leadership. How do you define leadership and when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Well, you know, I'll start with the the second half of the question there. I lead myself. I don't have employees. I don't have anybody that is working under me. So you know, to be a leader, uh, to me, I have to, I have to take charge and I have to run the show and I have to do everything. But I think the concept of leadership to me 
is being a a solid, well-rounded example to others. And so to me, the you know, the definition, the first half of your question of leadership is is being a leader and showing that to my children, being a leader and showing that to others in the community, whether it's aspiring entrepreneurs or whether it's my consulting clients or whether it's people that I'm coaching and mentoring, you know, you have to be able to lead them and to show them the way. And I think you lead by example, right? We've all heard that before, but that's Mm -hmm. what you do. You lead by example. And so I try and lead uh, in ways that will have a positive impact on people around me. And, you know, it's not always perfect. There's, there's a lot of bumps in the road and, and I certainly make a lot of mistakes, uh, willing to definitely admit that. But I, I try my best each and every day to, to set that example. So who was the example for you when you were growing up? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, you know, my father was, was always a, a leader um, in his work. He was always, though, driving me to, to follow my passion, to do things that were interesting to me. And my father had a classic line, which always stuck with me. You know, he always said, write your own paycheck. He said, He's, you know, I've been working for somebody else my whole life. Um, and even though I lead a group of people in my work, somebody else writes that paycheck. And he always said to me and my brother, write your own paycheck, find a way and write your own check. And so it's no surprise to me at this point that my brother and I both work for ourselves. We both run successful businesses. And so I'm trying to pass that same thing on to my children. You know, do what you like, uh, whether it's working for somebody else, but find a way to do it on your terms. Mm -hmm. What a great, like, especially at that time, entrepreneurship has had this real sort of boon recently and everyone's talking about it. But at when you were kind of growing up, this wasn't the thing. In fact, it was sort of seen as too risky. So your father sort of saw the future and gave <laughs> you the, the like sort of, you know, energy and direction to go there and pursue that without any kind of breaks on it. That's, that's amazing. Was there any other examples from early on that you had the potential to step up in some way? And like, were you seeking out leadership opportunities? Were you kind of the shy kid who was sort of watch the room, you know, what were sort of the your earlier days like? Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. I was never the shy kid. I was the kid. I was uh, I was the kid that could hang with all the crowds. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I was one of the few in high school that could get along with the skaters, but I could also get along with you know the the punks, right, or the punk rockers. And so, I could kind of mingle in between various groups, uh, all of them. And there was a lot of kids in school that couldn't do that. And mm-hmm. so, I, I found, uh, but leadership in particular. I played basketball my, my whole life up until probably the end of high school, the beginning of college university. And, you know, whether or not I was a starting player, because there were years where I rode the pine and sat on the bench and there were years where I was the starting player. But I always found that teams in general need somebody to, you know, to take the bull by the horns and lead the charge. And not, there wasn't always somebody that was willing to do that. And so even if I wasn't the captain of the team or the quote unquote leader, I would try and take that role. And so I think sports in general is a great way to hone leadership skills. Um, and I think, you know, these days, everybody, all the I see this with my own kids now, they play sports. You have to be willing as a coach, I think, to give all kids the chance to lead, right? And so my daughter who's seven is playing soccer right now and they take turns quote unquote, calling someone the captain. And I think that's really valuable, right? Is that person is sort of in charge of getting the huddle together at the beginning of uh, the half 
And I just really like that concept. And so I think it's so incredibly important. I also love that early on, you realize there's a difference between the title that, that sort of bestows leadership on you and then the actual like qualities that are needed in a leader. And so even if you were not the captain, you understood that there was a role to play and that you could be that person. Well, I, I saw that in in sports, particularly growing up, that there was players that were maybe considered the best player on the team who were who were labeled as the captain strictly for that reason. Mm-hmm. But when it came to actually, again, motivating the team or driving them when when we were down or getting them excited, you know, before the game started, they didn't always take that role. And right. and I often felt like somebody better do it, right? <laughs> you know, I, I remember once playing basketball when I was probably 13 years old and we were warming up for the game and I thought everybody seems so grumpy. You're like, we're not even high-fiving each other. Nobody's excited here. Like this is the wrong atmosphere, right? And so again, I'm not always the the giddy, happy-go-lucky guy. In fact, I'm pretty even-keeled, low-key type of guy. But I just felt that that type of thing is important to get people fired up, uh, to motivate them. And so it goes back to that concept of leading by example. I don't know if I necessarily knew that when I was that age, but you kind of just, you intuitively sense it. And I think, you know, I was able to pick up on that and kind of take, take the charge with it. So when you left university, did you spend any time in like a, you know, traditional, a traditional line of work? Yeah. (laughs) You know, I, I did for about a year and and, uh, my first job out of school I was making not a lot of money and I was recently married and my wife and I had just bought a house. My wife was just starting her career. So she was on a probationary period. And I went home the first day after finding my job out of school and told my wife I'm quitting my job. And she said, what do you mean you're quitting your job? You just spent six months trying to get your first job out of school. This is your career now. And I said, no, like this is not what I'm going to do. I'm just, it's not going to work. So my wife was very uh, risk averse. She's not very tolerant of risk. She's, that's just who she is. She likes stability. And so we made a deal, which was really cool at that point. We were 25, recently married. And she said, look, if you can make what you're making in this new job for six months, doing whatever you want, I don't care. I'll support you. But that's the deal. You need to show me for six months that you can do this. And so every day when I came home from my work, I started doing something behind the scenes, whether it was marketing for small businesses, things I went to school for, anybody that would pay me to help them, I started doing that on the side. And so six months to the day, I took my boss uh, to lunch and I said, I'm leaving, I'm leaving work. I gave my notice and I haven't been back since that. And I'm 37 this year. So, you know, it's, wow. it's been, there's been ups and downs, but it's been a lot sure. of fun and I'm loving it. Sure. I mean, would you suggest other people take a, a longer amount of time to sort of sort that out? Or do you think that your path worked out so others could follow you on it? Well, I think, I think there's a few things that come to mind. One is that I, I work with a lot of up and coming consultants, whether they're younger or older and leaving corporate jobs and they want to start a consulting practice. And I find that there's a lot of, uh, it's like the hokey pokey, right? It's one foot in and one foot out. Uh, and, and I find it's very hard to do things like that. Now I get stability. I get security. I get, we've got mortgages and, you know, I didn't have a family to feed at that point, which today would be the ultimate goal to make sure that they're fed and healthy and everything. But I think sometimes you need to, you need to be willing to take that risk. 
Uh, you need to be willing to make investments in yourself and in your growth. And sometimes those are financial investments. Sometimes those are, you know, realizing that things are going to be pretty lousy for six months, but if you can make it through, you can probably do anything you want. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just a firm believer of that these days. Mm -hmm. And it's probably more people to support someone starting out today than there was when you were starting out. Yeah. I mean, you know, you said something interesting at the start that this is kind of, we're kind of in the entrepreneurial boom, right? And it seems yeah. everywhere you look, uh, somebody's trying to be an entrepreneur and somebody's, and, and most people are doing it successfully. And I remember a, an article I read a few weeks ago in the New York Times where they were, they were following these families who said, it was actually really interesting. They were American families who said, if Donald Trump is elected, I'm leaving the United States. And so a lot of people said this, right? Famous people said it, actors, actresses said it, and not many of them actually left when he was elected. But the New York Times went and tracked down six families that actually left. And it was really fascinating because they profiled them. And one of the guys said something interesting. He said, you know, any, any goofball with a computer these days and a little bit of ingenuity can probably make $60,000 a year. Can probably make $60,000 a year. And that's enough for my family to live anywhere we want, practically on this planet. And to me, I thought, that's really groundbreaking <laughs> wow. because wow. I, I, I totally believe that. Yeah. Right? If, if, if you work hard, uh, if you have some ingenuity, if you have computer and internet access, you can do this. You might yeah. not make 60000 but you can make some money. Yeah, yeah. And I think the fact that you had support early on from a partner is really key. I know that when I left my career to pursue my speaking business full time, um, my background had been organizing fundraising events and doing event planning. And so I was getting all these inquiries like, oh, my God, are you now free to do event planning for me? Or do you want to help me write my fundraising strategy plan? And I was like, no, I, I don't. I don't <laughs> right. want to do those things. I, I knew I wanted to kind of go in the direction I've sort of ended up, you know, like speaking on this topic of inclusive networking, coaching, online coaching program, courses, the whole, you know, the whole thing. But I didn't know who I wanted to serve yet. I wanted to make a shift in that. And so I had to come to my wife and say, you know, I'm not going to do these other random things. And she's like, oh, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. But like, yeah, it would be kind of distracting. Oh, it totally makes sense. I had to talk to her three times in one evening before she finally said, hey, are you asking permission to not make money? <laughs> and I was like, uh, yeah. And she said, I've lived here for five years without you. I mean, I love you, but I don't need you. Right, <laughs> and it was right. like this really freeing statement that's let me spend the last few years really understand, you know, who I want to serve, what I want to be offering, because that's the hardest part when you start out is that you do have to sort of say yes to a lot of things. And it gets difficult to sort of not just niche in the like everyone's saying these days you should niche, but well, you know, when you serve a particular community, the referrals are going to be easier than if you yeah. serve everybody. No one then knows who you work with. So that's the part that I think has been, you know, challenging people as they first get started. So having someone in your life who believes in you and supports you, and it sounds like even though she was risk averse, which my wife pretty much is too, she's like, I could never do what you do. Um, but they still, she still thinks that I have potential to do it and that that's really key. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're 13 years into our marriage this year. And so we're, we're still figuring those things out, right? And I mean, the, the key is to continuously be communicating about these things. But also, uh, you know, when you have a little success, I think to, to show your significant other some of that success, to spoil them a little bit too, right? And so it, all of that is important. But yeah, it's, it's certainly a struggle and people are built in different ways. And I think, again, just being... Uh, 
overly assertive in your communication about those things. Like, you know, mm-hmm. your wife's like, are you trying to tell me you're not going to make money? Right. I think that's really interesting, but it's super important to be able to have those type of frank discussions. Yeah. So what do you find most rewarding about the work you do today, Noah? Well, the, the work I do today is fascinating because I get to, I am exposed to so many different types of businesses. Uh, I'm working with clients that are doing a few million in revenue to some large, you know, global companies doing billions of dollars in revenue. And in the most bizarre, unique, fascinating, different industries you could think of, I've learned of businesses that I didn't even know existed. And I get to work with them and work with their sales teams and work with their leaders and help them, but also small companies too. But the most rewarding thing, again, comes back to everything we've been talking about. The fact that three hours from now, I'll go pick my kids up off the bus. The, pa- the fact that at 8.50 this morning, I took them to the bus and we walked down there and that's kind of our morning routine and I got to make them breakfast. And so, you know, to me, the most rewarding thing is being able to, to define my time, to define my lifestyle. Um, you know, it's my mentor, Alan Weiss, who says real wealth is discretionary time. Mm. And I wholeheartedly believe that, that real wealth is discretionary time. So we don't need millions of dollars. You may want that and that might be your thing. But the true indicator of wealth is being able to decide what you want to do when you want to do it. I'm so glad you brought up Alan Weiss because you and I actually met at the million dollar consulting convention that was here in Boston just a short while ago. And um, I know that you took a big risk early on to, to sort of join his, his sort of ecosystem <laughs> um, and, and be part of his community and to get personally coached and mentored by him. Um, how did you first decide that? Was that because you've been reading his books and just sort of like gravitated to his, his like knowledge base and then wanted to be part of the world that he knew? Yeah. So it it goes back to what I was telling you, you know, leaving my job after six months, uh, I said, you know, anybody that would write me a paycheck uh, that, or every, anybody that would cut me a check and pay me to do something. That worked for a while and it probably could have sustained itself, but it wasn't enough. It wasn't a real business, right? And so three or four years after that, I decided it was time to get really serious about building this consulting practice. And so when I started to look for resources, I was exposed to Alan, I was reading his books and I thought if I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna invest in the best mm-hmm. and I'm gonna spend what it takes to do that and I'm not going to be shy about it. I'm going to take some big risks here. And so I think that first year I spent about $40,000 wow. and I went right in the hole. That was in the negative, right? Yeah. And again, that was another discussion with my spouse saying, look, here's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm investing in this coaching. I'm going to be in these mastermind groups. I'm going to these events this year. Uh, but hands down, it was the best investments I ever made. And, you know, here I am eight, nine years later, I continue to make those investments on a yearly basis. Mm-hmm. And so it, it still is the best money I've ever spent. Not necessarily with that person in particular. I think that's the person or whoever you make those investments in doesn't matter. I equate them to investments in myself and investments in my own growth. And so, you know, again, when your audience is listening, that doesn't always mean cash investments or the amount of money invested. It just means making the investment in yourself right? Whether that's to attend a, a workshop or to, you know, rent yourself an office or to buy yourself a new car because it's going to make you feel better, whatever it is, it's still an investment in yourself. And I, again, it's one of those sort of things I just wholeheartedly believe in so much. 
Yeah. And I, I think there's someone out there right now who's like, now I can get my car. <laughs> <laughs> Noah said it's okay. Well, you know what? There, there is a certain thing about like looking the part, um, you know, it makes you feel like you belong, you know, particularly as you start to sort of earn and buy your way into higher echelons of a world that you didn't even know existed. Um, you know, you start surrounding yourself with these like, I, don't know, I guess you might say like the top consultants of the world. And then you're like, wow, okay, do I belong? And the truth is nobody in that room really knows that they belong. Um, that was one of the profound things that I got from being at this, this million dollar consulting convention. My preconceived notion going in was, was very different from the reality. Everyone was like so down to earth. Everyone was trying to like just hone their craft, you know, get a little better, very humble, you know, but sometimes very like, I know what I'm good at, you know, like, <laughs> like a healthy mix, you know, like yeah. I know what I'm good at, but I also know that I have more to learn humble. Um, so it's just, it's like important to like, don't, don't not do those things because they're scary. I think when you're, before you go to a space like that, that's new to you, it's very scary. Like you kind of get in your own head. You almost go back to your childhood feelings of how it is to like meet new people and all of that. Right. Right. Yeah. You, you feel like an imposter, right? And it's the imposter syndrome. But uh, I think there is something important about learning to be comfortable in those situations. It's, it's again, it's putting yourself out of your comfort zone, right? So the first time I met with people in Alan Weiss's community, I felt the same way. Uh, very intimidated. You know, I'm looking at their websites and going, oh my goodness, right? This person's in my mastermind group. Like, this is crazy. But but you realize that these people are just like you. And you realize even CEOs and presidents of billion-dollar companies are just like you, right? <laughs> They're dealing with the same challenges, the same situations, uh, the same stresses. And so when you realize that, there's nothing more to lose. There's nothing more to worry about. Mm. And, and so again, I'm always constantly trying to tell myself that when something feels a little scary, when something feels a little not right, that means I'm kind of on the right path, mm. right? And when I feel too comfortable, when I feel like this is too easy, uh, you know, it's time to change something up. Yeah. So speaking of changing things up and, and uh, maybe looking for the challenge and not just the easy coasting what's been most challenging for you in this sort of transition as you you've sort of morphed from the the attempt to have a day job any kind of any kind of uh, entrepreneurship gig I'll take to creating your own brand and creating your own consultancy in a really professional way what are you not good at like what's the piece of this that you were like I definitely need other people to be part of this because uh, although you are a solo practitioner it sounds like you must have other people who are supporting you because there's got to be some piece that's a little like not in your lane. Yeah. So there, there's a lot that's not in my lane. You know, <laughs> again, it's, uh, it's, I, I'm all about, let's be honest and real here. So again, I said, I, I continue to make these investments every year. And the reason I make these investments is because I need accountability. Um, I can procrastinate with the best of them and we can all do that. I need somebody to hold my feet to the fire. I want to be motivated by others. I want to be able to push myself um, again, I, I need to continue to make these investments because I just need that type of support around me. And so I think being able to surround yourself with that, um, is absolutely key there, Yeah. There's, I mean, there's so many things that, you know, I need help with, right. But you're constantly learning. You're constantly getting better. Um, building a brand you mentioned is 
is very difficult because one of the things that's very easy for entrepreneurs and people that are interested in building a brand to do is to jump around from one things to one thing to the next because something looks exciting or it looks like there's an easier way or it looks like maybe if I did this, I could generate a little extra revenue over here. But I learned that very quickly. If you do that, you just end up constantly jumping around Mm -hmm. as opposed to, you know, sticking to my lane, getting focused and getting really serious about following that through. Mm -hmm. I think that's key. Um, If it ever got to a point where I said, look, you know, this just isn't working. It's time to do something else. Then I would do that. But I think, again, too many of us jump around from one thing to the next, hoping to find something to either supplement or to add to, or that might seem easier. And the reality is if you just stick to what you're doing with a lot of focus and a lot of energy, you're going to make it. So what I'm hearing, because you're like a decade ahead as far as professionalizing your your consultancy, um, because I've been speaking for a long time, but it's only a few years that I've really taken this on as a business. Uh, that feeling never goes away. <laughs> is that yeah. what you're saying? <laughs> uh, it it yeah. absolutely never goes away, right? Yeah. And, and, I, and I think even when, when times are really good, there are still times in this business that they're not as good. And even when you're really successful, there are still going to be times that are not great. I remember Alan telling me a story once where in January, he made $186,000 and the next month in February, he made $50. And that's a reality of this type of business. That's, that can happen, right? Wow. And so being able to weather those storms, uh, being able to be comfortable when that happens. And again, mm-hmm. it goes back to a lot we were talking about, having the support systems around you to know that you can, you can do this. I find that things always have a way of working themselves out one way yeah. or the other. And you know, if you try and just chill out and live your life like that, good things will happen. So speaking of chilling out then, um, so you work from home, you've got a family, mm-hmm. uh, your job is not the kind of job where you clock in and clock out. Mm-hmm. So how do you know when you're not at work? Like <laughs> what, what, like, cause you know, you, your brain needs a little downtime. And even if you love your job, you know, you still need to sort of introduce other things into your life. Do you have any habits or practices or philosophies around what that looks like? Well, you, you know when you know. So, uh, and that's not really an answer, but for, for many years when you're grinding it out and trying to get this going and working your tail off, you know, I, I look back now and think uh, I was a little bit crazy. I was addicted to my phone. I was on the computer 24-7, but you're trying to make it work. And I guess, you know, years later, and it sounds funny to say that years later, because I feel like I'm still really quite young, uh, you start to find that balance, right? And you start to realize, again, like we talked about real wealth being discretionary time. So when I go to soccer practice with my kids on Tuesday and Thursday night, uh, I try really hard not to bring my phone with me. And I try really hard to stay engaged. It's not that it always happens, because it doesn't things pop up, things come up, you know, the phone rings, emails come in, there's client emergencies, but uh, I try. And I think just constantly trying to get better at the things you're not that great at, uh, you know, goes a long way. Yeah. It sounds like there's a consciousness you're trying to bring in and that it's not so much that you're trying to find that elusive balance that doesn't really exist, but some sort of integration that allows you, because like you love the fact that you get take your kids to you know, the bus stop in the morning and pick them up in the afternoon. Like that's, that's integration into a very busy life, right? You're not like 
I'm well, doing you, one thing and then another. You said something really interesting there, which is balance. And, and this is all about balance. So two years ago, when I stepped on the scale at New Year's, like many of us do, you know, I realized that my weight had crept up to a number I'd never seen before. And, and it freaked me out. And so that made me realize there was a, that the balance was off. There was balance in some areas, but my fitness was out of whack, right? There was no balance there. So for the past two years, that's something I've really tried to focus on, that I'm going to make time to exercise. I'm going to make time to uh, eat healthier. I'm going to make time to, you know, to get my weight in check and my fitness in check. Mm-hmm. And, and I do that. And that becomes, again, not just something uh, that I feel like I should do. It, it becomes a priority. It becomes a must. Yeah. And so there are certain things that I think are musts in our lives. And, you know, sometimes other things have to give for that. Yeah. And it also sounds like you're really thinking about how to have the people in your life that are supporting you. Um, because this is a show also about networking and, and building great relationships, you are meeting people all over the place. Um, you know, you're now plugged into Alan Weiss's world. You have all these different clients and you work with such a different diverse group of clients in different industries. Um, you're meeting interesting people all the time. I'm curious, how do you stay in touch with not the close connections, but sort of the second and third layers out the people that, you know, you meet at a conference and you're like, they're interesting. Um, cool people. I enjoyed that dinner with them while we were all at the event, but now I, we don't have a reason to work together. So what then? Like, is there something you're doing that is helping you sort of nurture and sustain those sort of weaker ties? It's, you know, when I hear you say that, it's, it it strikes in my head that it's hard. It's really hard to do. Uh, And so, and so you're right. So one of the nice things about getting involved in somewhere where there is a quote unquote existing community of people, uh, you have shared interests, you have shared, you know, passions, you're kind of doing similar things. And so it's very easy to, to go into that group and build these sort of second and third level connections. Maintaining those contacts is very hard. Um, But, you know, again, one of the things that I've learned from Alan in particular is that if your friends aren't changing, if you're, you know, nothing's changing in your life, it's just like, it's just like anything else. If things become status quo, it becomes very hard to grow. So, you know, this year my wife and I have made some new friends in town or, as I mentioned, getting serious about our fitness, we joined a new gym in town and we've made, you know, dozens of new friends because of that. And some of them are just acquaintances, like you said, second and third level connections that you see. Um, And some of them become better friends. I think though, to answer your question, it's just hard. It's very hard to do, but there's certain people that you click with, certain people that you connect with, certain people that there's a little bit more. We were talking about Dory Clark before we started recording. Dory and I met, I don't know, six, seven years ago at an Allen event. And, you know, we see each other maybe three times a year, but we'll communicate by text every now and then just to check in, see how each other are doing. Where there are other people I've met where we talk almost daily, Mm -hmm. right? And so just, again, making those efforts to stay in touch, I think is important. But yeah, it's, I don't know if there's a magic bullet. You tell me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, there's a couple of things that I'm curious about. Um, Are you... Um, so it sounds like it's a little more happenstance. Like, is it that something like you see reminds you of someone like Dory and that's what makes you think to reach out? Or do you have any kind of tickler that helps you think to reach out to like a select group of people? I mean, 
um, John Corcoran, who's a, also a friend of Dory's, came on my show and he's got his like 50 people that every year he knows these are the 50 people I want to like stay in touch with. And he each day one of them pops up. So he knows that he's going to think about them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, th- I, that sounds great to me in theory. I'm, I'm just not that deep. Right. And so, yeah. <laughs> and so, but, but what I do try and do is, is pay attention and try and learn something interesting or unique about somebody that is going to trigger my mind at some point. So if I'm in the airport and, you know, I see a book at the bookstore that reminds me of Robbie, uh, I'll probably send you a text and, you know, just reach out and say, Hey Robbie, how you doing? Look, I just saw this it's totally reminded me of you. Uh, or, you know, I'll buy the book for you, right. And send it to you. And it's the same thing I do with my clients. And it's the same thing I teach my clients that you should know a little bit about each one of your clients. And if, if I see something, for example, I have a client in the conveyor belt industry. Okay. That is an industry. But if I see something interesting about conveyor belts, or if I read something in the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal, I'll clip that and I'll send it to them or I'll find the link online and I'll forward that. That to me is a, it's a customer retention touch point, but it's also a way of adding value to somebody else. And so I'm just trying to be aware of that. Uh, you know, maybe it'd be good if it was more systematized because I do teach my clients how to systematize that and put yeah, it into yeah. a process. I've never really thought about doing it from a personal point of view, but I think I also want it to feel, to feel genuine. Right. And yeah. so I feel like if I force connections, um, it's, so this, this is really interesting though, because I know that I, I'm kind of digging a little because, you know, your, your thing is teaching people about customer relationships and how to develop, um, deeper, better connections with your customers in ways that makes them want to stay, uh, as customers yeah. <laughs> and, and that it is an, an inevitably less burdensome burdensome on the company to put energy into doing that than it would be to constantly like find new people to to become part of the pipeline and i i totally buy that um and so it's it's interesting to think about like how do you apply some of those same techniques in an authentic way to like our personal lives and our professional lives trying to build our networks um not in a contrived way. I think that there are ways that it becomes sort of, I guess, sort of smarmy. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I teach my clients a, a process called the pick three process. And the pick three process is very simply the CEO, we start with the CEO or the president. He's going to make three personal connection or reach outs every day to his clients. And we give them a list of 50 or so example tasks. But the thing that we tell them very early on is that the moment that this does become robotic or automated or feel like a mail merge or feel like, you know, that uh, there's a computer generated thing faking your signature, the jig is up. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, so just like my personal connections, I don't want to force it. You know, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. I'll make the effort when I think of it. And I think with my clients, uh, the thing I'm constantly trying to teach them is, is personal and that authentic connection, that meaningful, memorable touch point is going to crush that automated generic touch point any day of the week. Yeah. So similar to what you just described, um, I work with entrepreneurial women um, in particular who are, you know, trying to like build a practice. They've got this great idea. They're trying to like become better known. And one of the practices I ask them to start with is twice a week, they're going to have some sort of personal connection with someone in their network. And and it could be coffee, it could be a Zoom call, it could be they send them some, it could be sending them a book with a note. 
um, you know, a personalized touch point. And what ends up happening is if they have the practice of doing that every week, then they start looking for people that they're going to do that to, like mm-hmm. send something mm-hmm. to. Whereas before they would meet people at some random event that they thought were kind of cool, but they had no follow-up plan. Yeah. But now they're, they're like, oh, wait, they could be the person I sent something to in two weeks. Like, this is cool. I'm going to keep an eye out to see what it is that'll be. Um, you know, or I want to definitely meet this person in, in, again and, you know, have a coffee or it just like gives them a habit. And now, of course, they end up doing it way more than twice a week. Like, yeah, I think I think the important thing for me is, you know, as I'm thinking about what you're saying and suggesting here is and it's great. But I think about people that I've met at conferences and events and people that I really liked and people that I thought, oh, man, like I'd love to be friends with that person. And, you know, but then you make an effort and you do something like that and you don't get the same reaction back. (laughs) And, you know, you don't get the same feeling back. And I think you have to be able to read into that and go, well, you know what, like they're not really into it as much as I was into it. So therefore, you know, we're going to move on with life and away we go. And I think, again, you know, sometimes those connections just naturally come together. Sometimes we can work at them, but I also don't want to force it. Yeah. I also think that some people are very different in person at an event than they are when they're back in their real life. (laughs) Um, You know, they're overwhelmed and busy and they just haven't figured out how to make time for those kinds of connections. And so when you reach out, like I have someone who just sent me a message that was like, hey, just thinking about you, like, how are you doing? And I saw it come in and it's very thoughtful. You know, this is like, there's a professional connection, someone who's like friendly. Um, but now I'm like, oh my God, I have to respond. What am I going to say? In like a hundred words, you know, or you know, a hundred characters or a lot, you know what I mean? Like, like it just, and I, but I, I, I'm like, okay, I don't want to let that just like slip by because that right. would be wrong of me. I want to right. at least be like, thank you so much for thinking of me. It's a little hectic right now or whatever it is like, or here's the one big thing I want to tell you about, or we should definitely schedule a call. Um, but yeah, like I want to make sure that I'm responding in kind and not dismissing that effort. Um, but it also gets weird when someone sends you a thank you card and you feel like you want to thank them for sending you a thank you <laughs> card. Like there's got to be an end to that cycle somehow. Well, it's, you know, we, we clean our house for our house cleaners. So <laughs> it just seems to be the way things work. It is so true. So how do you, uh, how do you think about the diversity of your network? Is that something that you're consciously trying to develop? Uh, yeah, no, I don't think about it consciously. I mean, you know, I have friends that are of all ages and all backgrounds and all different types. So one of my best friends, you know, he's, he's 57 years old and, and almost acts as a a mentor to me in, in many ways. And so, you know, I'm, I look for interesting people that again, I connect with, uh, that I feel there's mutual value to be given. You know, if, if I'm not giving anything to you and there's nothing from this relationship, but yet you continue to want to hang out with me, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know if it's fair to you. I don't know if it's fair to me. And so, you know, I'm trying to find those sort of ways to just continuously add value. Um, again, I think making those efforts like you talked about to reach out have lunch, have a drink, catch up with somebody are incredibly important. Mm -hmm. And I try and do that when I can, but uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's tough, right? We live in a, we live in a digital age where it's, it is very easy to just send a text. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you really want to freak people out, call them, right? right? (laughs) Call them up on the phone or worse, FaceTime them, you know? (laughs) (laughs) 
So Noah, I had uh, Susan Rowan on um, a while ago and she wrote a book nearly 30 years ago called How to Work a Room. So she is really like a, a godmother in this space of networking and relationship building. She's still writing and speaking on the topic. And she talked about something that she called um, uh, her making hay phone calls. Uh, how are you? Mm. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I think people forget that that device in their pocket makes phone calls. And, you know, whenever I'm out for a walk, I'm always like, who can I call? You know, I'm like, walk with my kids to the store. They're like strapped into a stroller. You know, like, who can I talk to in the 10 minutes that I have? Um, and there's a, there's a handful of people that I think I'm in better touch with because they have flexible schedules. <laughs> and so I know I can call them in the middle of the day, <laughs> um, which is an important thing to know. Uh, like, and that, and that if they don't answer, that they know that I'm not calling in an emergency. I think there are other people, if I called them, they would answer in a panic because <laughs> right, right. I never call them. <laughs> so, so true. <laughs> so it's important to keep that all in mind. These are such small touch points. I'm sure this is exactly what you're teaching uh, your clients. It's like not always the grand gestures because those seem forced and, you know, like even sending the huge bouquet of fruit basket or whatever it is is nice, but like sometimes it's a small touch. It's like, I saw this and thought of you can really like develop a relationship far more. Yeah. And, and, you know, you also said something there, which was really important that it's, it's important to know, know the person you're reaching out to. And, you know, one of the things we teach our clients all the time is know your customers. Right. And so don't be calling them on West coast time if you're on East coast time or vice versa. Right. It's important to know those things. Mm -hmm. And so, so we teach those things and it's surprisingly important and surprisingly valuable when you teach those things because they go, Oh, you know, we were, we were calling people at midnight their time when we thought it was, you know, an appropriate time. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and all those things matter. And so I think it's important to keep in mind your personal relationships too. Yeah. Client, the client's uh, first client centered sort of approach. Right. We're be thinking about that as we're developing these relationships in our own life. That's interesting. I had a chance to speak to uh, sales reps at Marriott international um, okay. about sales from the client's perspective, because I had been a client for a long time. And I said, you know, you're, you're trying to get me to come and do an event with you. Look at my public calendar on the website. You know, I was running events for a nonprofit. And if I'm within two weeks before, two weeks after an event, don't call me. Like, mm -hmm. but then wait two weeks after and ask me how the event went. And then right. go into your pitch. <laughs> I'm going to love you. Cause I, exactly. you know, like that, just that thoughtfulness and it seems so easy. The information's public, but we're too often on our own schedule and not thinking about other people. So you can definitely apply that. This is great. I think it's a real good takeaway to think about other people's lives. So, um, I love this last sort of wrap up conversation question. Um, you know, when we can reconnect a year from now and we're having a, a chance to celebrate all of your successes and we're, you know, we're toasting to them. What are we going to be sort of, uh, reflecting on as your achievements from the previous year? You mean me personally? Wow. That is, that is deep. I mean, you know, I think a lot of it goes back to what we talked about that if, if you're not growing, you're stagnant. And so I need to constantly be growing in some regard. Um, I don't, I don't know necessarily what that is. Perhaps I'm, you know, writing another book, perhaps I'm celebrating something with my kids. Perhaps it's, you know, that I've been able to and been fortunate enough to continue doing what I'm doing and everybody's stayed healthy and happy and cheerful. And I think, you know, we can't forget the little things in life that are so important. Um, 
I, you know, I just want to be grateful for all the goodness that I have and continue to recognize that around me. And, you know, networking is such an interesting thing because you, you get exposed to new people and new ideas and everybody's lives. And, you know, one of my favorite quotes ever, which I'm sure you've talked about before, is that quote, uh, the concept of Sonder. And I don't know if you've heard of Sonder before, but if you haven't, look it up. And it's, you know, this idea that everybody you see and everybody around you is living this rich narrative life as complex as your own, right? And so when I walk through an airport these days and I'm seeing a million strangers' faces, uh, I try and be mindful of that. I try and be mindful that any stress I'm dealing with, anything that I'm unhappy about, you know, or anything that I'm grateful for. Other people are going through similar things. And so if I can be a little bit more aware of that, I think that's something to celebrate. And I think that's, if any, everybody can be a little bit more aware of that, <laughs> then we've all got something to celebrate. That is brilliant. I've not actually heard that um, quote before, but is it's true. And it also really gives you empathy. Yeah. It's moments a, when you really, it's, need- uh, it, it it comes from, I, you, you have to look it up, but the word is Sonder. And I think it comes from, um, uh, I'm going to really butcher this, but I believe it comes from, uh, you know what? I'm not even going to just look it up. I will look it's, it up. It's a life-changing quote. It's a life-changing thought. And yeah. it really develops this sort of unique curiosity for others, which I think in networking is so important to mm-hmm. understand that the person you're talking to has this rich, complex narrative wow. just like you. And, you know, learning about that is so valuable. And it gets you out of your own head, which I think for so many people, networking is scary because they're thinking about themselves in that moment. Like they're, you know, they're nervous, they're anxious, they're pitching, they're selling, Yeah, you know, they're trying to like climb the corporate ladder, whatever it is. But if you have the curiosity and openness to other people, wow, that's, I love this word, Sonder. I, Sonder. I will. I will look this up. I will put the quote also in the show notes. We'll probably end up tweeting it. I will be honest with you. <laughs> I'm going to get that out there because I want people to know this. What a great shift. So Noah, where can people find you and follow your work? So they can definitely come to my website, which is noahfleming.com with one M. Uh, if anybody's interested in any of my books, they can find those anywhere books are sold on Amazon, you know, anywhere else. And of course, they can connect with me on LinkedIn or any other social network that we all feel like we have to be on just for the sake of being there. Uh, I'm probably there somewhere and I'm happy to connect with anyone at any time. And, you know, if you do reach out to me, I will respond. I do respond to everything I get. It's one of the things I've always done. I think it's so valuable. I learned that from Seth Godin, who whenever I email him over the past 10 years, he's always responded. And I've always told myself, you know, if Seth's not too busy, there's no way that I'm busier. So that's I great. don't have a reason not to respond. Well, I want to make sure people know about your, your evergreen show podcast. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And I appreciate also, that. uh, which I'll put a link in the show notes and I've never talked about someone's newsletter before on this show, <laughs> but you and I met because you were actually sort of divulging the secrets to having a really good email newsletter. And so on the spot, I signed up for yours and I've really been enjoying them. And it's influenced the way I've been writing mine. So if people have enjoyed the little anecdotes and stories that I've been sharing in my weekly Tuesday, turns out, uh, email that I've been sending, you should sign up. He has his Tuesday tidbits, uh, which are fantastic and thoughtful. And uh, the challenge at the end is always thought-provoking. And even if you're not in his industry, I think you can learn a lot about the craft that he has sort of taught himself and has now been you know, sharing with others. So go to his website. 
even if it's not your industry, check out what he's doing because I think you can apply it to whatever you're working on. Noah, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Robbie. Appreciate it. I hope you enjoy that interview with Noah. Such a pleasure to speak with him and learn about his leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 97. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's episode. If you enjoyed this episode with Noah, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on iTunes. It's easy to find our iTunes page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance, and I look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional about their untold stories of leadership and networking. We'll explore their career challenges, work-life balance, and how they built a strong professional network on their way to becoming successful leaders. Until then, have an awesome week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.